Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been in that moment where somebody was um, trying to tell you about a place or like a restaurant or, or explain about a person and like they used all these really awesome words and really hyped it up. And then later when you went to that place or you met that person, you're like, dude, why did you lie to me? Anybody ever have that moment, right, T, right? Uh, so I grew up in California, all right, um, West Coast boy, but even in California, we like country music, all right? I know you guys like country, so I listen to a little bit of country music, and my whole childhood, I was listening to like George Stray, Alan Jackson, right, these guys, and they talked about something that, you know, that was kind of common in their songs, um, and that was Texas women, all right? Um, now, they, they painted this beautiful picture of a Texas woman, uh, right, and how she's awesome, she's beautiful, she's strong, Wrong, right, can drive a truck, ride a horse, punch you if she needs to punch you, right? Um, they're like Texas women. Like I just, I just remember hearing that over and over. Maybe that was just my young childhood brain. I don't know. Um, but when I graduated high school, okay, um, I went to East Texas Baptist University, right? And what would, like, what do you think I was looking forward to the most, right? Meeting. A Texas woman, all right? Now, I, learned, I knew all the songs, the lyrics are in my head, George Strait's voice playing all the time, right? Um, and so I, let me tell you about, this is gonna be awkward, my first date with a Texas woman, all right? Um, so she had to come pick me up at the dorm because I didn't have a car. And so she came in, when she pulled up to my dorm, that's what Texas women do, right? She pulled up to my dorm in her big old lifted up truck. She got out, super pretty. I was like, man, I'm excited. I walk up and before I give her a hug, she's like, hold on. She pulls out the biggest of dip right out of her bottom lip. It throws it, it splats on the ground. And then that sound suddenly reminded me that I had a big test that I forgot to study for and that I came out to tell her, I can't go on this day with you. I got a test. I hope you understand. Gave her a high five. Now, listen, um, if that offended you, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, If you're into that kind of thing, there you go. But I found out later um, she was from Louisiana. She wasn't even a Texas girl. So like, I thought George Strait lied to me, right? Um, And then I met a real Texas woman, my wife, and I was like, okay, everything that George Strait sang about was true, all right? Um, But listen, like, I'm sorry I shared that with you guys. Um, All of us have experienced someone presenting words to us, painting a picture of something or someone or even themselves, only for us to later find out those words were fake. Right? It was a hypocritical kind of thing where they were painting a picture of one thing, but their actions and who they really were didn't line up with the words. All of us have experienced the pain of being hurt by somebody using fake words. All of us have experienced the, 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 the shame that when we put our trust into somebody and they, they broke that trust, whether it be a friend or, or, or a spouse or, or maybe a coach said something to you or a coworker did something. And, and so all of us have felt at some point in our lives the pain and the hurt from people that we put our trust in, right? And if we were being honest, many of us um, have also hurt other people by using fake words or, or not being our real selves around them and, and only later to let them down because of our hypocrisy. And so today, I, you know, I get to preach and I'm super excited, but I'm gonna be really upfront with you, man, this, this chapter um, is not like super feel good. So if you came here to feel super good, I'm sorry, all right? Um, but 
this, what this chapter is going to bring us today in Jeremiah chapter 7, man, it shows us that God actually cares about us. He, he cares about us. He cares about the things that we say, the things that we do. And he also has a good plan for us, right? In Jeremiah chapter 7, God is telling Jeremiah to stand out in front of the temple gates where all these people are coming in to worship. And, and he's, but he's, he's also going to tell them like, hey, listen, there's some things in your life that, that need to be corrected. And so my hope and my prayer all week long is that we would come to this passage and hear this message from God, right, that he gave to Jeremiah to speak to the people of Judah, that we would hear it and apply it to our lives. Um, and so what I want us to do before we jump into the scripture, I want us to, to practice some prayer, right? We, we always want to get better at prayer. So let's, let's take some time to pray to get our hearts right. Um, and then we're going to jump in and, and hear the word uh, of the Lord. So do me a favor, won't you, won't you close your eyes? And, and for the next uh, moment, why don't you just practice praying and telling God, thank you for who he is. It's Father's Day. He's a good father. This next moment, just by yourself, just pray and thank God for who he is and how good he is. For this next moment, why don't you pray and thank God that we have his word, that we have the Bible, that we can read and learn about our God. Lastly, why don't you pray and ask God, God, soften my heart. Reveal to me if there's anything that you're not pleased with in my life, reveal it to me, God, and give me strength to respond. God, you're so good. And I just thank you for your grace and your mercy and the, and the fact that you give us grace upon grace upon grace. You are a good father, and Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for this word that we're going to um, open up in Jeremiah, Lord. And I pray that as we read your scripture and we open it up, God, that you would just speak to us, God, that you would use me as your microphone and that you would speak to us clearly. And God, reveal in my life and in our lives as, as a church family, reveal to us those things that you're not pleased with so that we can correct them, God, so that we can repent and that we can progress towards following you. God, I pray that you do what only you can do today and that you draw us in. I love you, Lord. And it's your sons that we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Find your way to Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is what verse 1 says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord. All you people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Correct your ways and your actions and I will allow you to live in this place. Man, what an what a intro to a sermon, right? God is not playing around. There's no story. There's no illustration. He gets straight to the point. He says, correct your ways and your actions. I mean, right off the bat, God's saying, hey, there's some things in your life that's not lining up with the words that you're proclaiming. There's some actions, there's some things that you are doing that is not lining up with what you're saying. And God says, correct them. And if you do, he tags this little promise at the end of that, I will let you live in this place. 
Now, there, as I was studying, I learned this week, there's a few ways to interpret that little tag, right? I'll let you live in this place. And the first one is, is talking about um, God being in their presence through the temple, right? On this side of Jesus, we have the spirit of God with us. We are a temple and the spirit of God is with us. His presence is always with us as believers. If you have a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of God lives in you. Everywhere you go, God is with you. But for them, the presence of the Lord dwells Wealth in the temple. And so one way to interpret that is, hey, if you correct your ways, if you, if you correct these things that you're doing that doesn't line up with obedience, I will continue to be in your presence. If you're with me, say I'm with you, right? Another way to interpret that is God literally saying, if you correct your ways and you repent, I will let you live in this land, right? Right, they, they, the land was given to their ancestors. And so God's like, listen, if you um, correct your ways, get right, then I'm not gonna exile you guys out in the wilderness. I won't destroy the temple. I won't kick you out of this land, all right? The third way, y'all ready for the third way to interpret this? Say yes. The third way to interpret this, you ready? Both of them are correct, all right? So like it can mean God is, um, will be in their presence and God won't kick them out of the land. So either way you wanna go, the message is super clear in what God is trying to say. He's trying to show them, hey, your actions and words aren't lining up. Your heart is not actually lining up with what you are proclaiming with your mouth. So what is God not pleased with? Look at verse four with me. Verse four says this, do not trust in deceitful words chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So, so picture what's happening, right? A lot of scholars believe that this was a time of a festival. So thousands of people are coming to this temple to walk in and worship with other people, right? Other believers. And so God strategically places him at the temple gates, the front door to get in to worship. Jeremiah is stationed right there and he is um, 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 preaching this message. So as they're coming into the temple, they enter in, they hear Jeremiah, but what they're doing is they're walking in and they're just chanting over and over, this is the temple of the Lord. And so their mindset and what actually was going on in their mind was that as they were doing that, they weren't actually walking in obedience the rest of their days of their week, the rest of their life. So what they were doing is, I'm gonna walk in disobedience, then step into this temple, proclaim this is the Lord's house, then walk out to go do whatever it is that I want to do. They were just walking in chanting, hoping that that would cover up their lifestyle of disobedience. In other words, their mindset was, we have the temple. So I'm good. As long as I go in and I participate with the religious acts of worship, me and God are on good terms. I'm in right standing with God. Why? Because I went into the temple. And what God is screaming through the prophet Jeremiah is don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie that there is nothing outside of a relationship with Jesus that can make you in right standing with God. And as I was studying for this, it was, it was easy for me and I had to catch myself several times judging these people. But the more I thought about it and the more I read this and, and looked into my own life, man, it is so easy for us to fall into this mindset that as long as I just participate in religion, as long as I just go to church, as long as I just worship a little bit, it covers my whole week of sinning. 
But as long as I just go in and chant along, me and God are good. I had to check myself because how many times um, is it uh, easy for us to just downplay our sin and, and, and overplay our good deeds? To downplay our disobedience and overplay our religious activities. And listen, I've been, I've been going to church for a long time. I've been doing ministry for a long time. And man, this, I think, is, is what's going on in our, in our church culture. Not necessarily, I'm not talking second, I'm talking just the church in general. I think we have downplayed obedience. I, th- I think we just downplayed it. We, we believe this weird theology that if, man, if I just wear the cross necklace and I just put a verse in my bio or get one tatted, if I don't just cuss, if I, if I only cuss a little bit and don't drink too much, if I vote for this person and not for that person, if I just um, uh, party on Friday, but make sure I get up on Sunday to go to worship, if, if, I, if I, I know if I just give a lot of money to the church, I can talk to my wife however I want, I can mistreat people, I can judge people. As long as I go into church and I just worship me and God, are good. As long as I just do the church thing, I'm in right standing with God. Family, listen to me. Nothing outside of a relationship with Jesus can cover your sins and make you in right standing with God. I mean, you can do all the humanitarian efforts in the whole world. You can feed every starving child. You can build every single homeless person a home. You can do all the, all the um, 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 religious activities, do communion, sing all the songs. You can know every hymn from every hymnal book, from hymnal history, have every Bible verse memorized, know when to raise your hand during worship, know when to sit down, stand up, and when you leave, right, feel good about yourself. All those things are awesome. Do all of those things, but that does not make you in right standing with God. It doesn't. Only a surrendered, repented relationship with Jesus Christ can make you in right standing with God. And the struggle that God's calling out in these people is they believed I can live however I want to live following whatever my heart desires as long as I go to church, go to the temple and chant out loud with everyone else, God's gonna look past my sin. He's gonna look past my disobedience. So if you're taking notes, it's not gonna be on here, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. All right, it's real profound, ready? I, I thought about this, real profound, real, real deep, ready? God sees past fake. God sees past fake. Sometimes we can be fooled, right? Sometimes we can spot a fake, but sometimes we can be fooled. God is never fooled. He knows when we're offering up empty words, He knows when we're just relying on religion to try to cover us as we just try to walk in disobedience. He knows our hearts better, the Bible says, better than we do. We cannot fool God with fake words. How do we know that to be true? Look at verse three and four one more time. Verse three, this is what the Lord of the army says. God of Israel says, correct your ways and your actions and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What has God shown us? That he looks right past those fake words and he knows, man, they're not there to actually worship him. They are there to play a game so that they can leave and go live however they want to live. In other words, like what what I want you to see is Sometimes when we read scripture, it's good to look at what God says, but it's also good to kind of play a game of what did God not say? 
And I want you to notice what God did not say here. He did not say, hey, change your words or change the thing that you're saying. Or, hey, can you pick a different chant from a different chant book or a newer chant that makes a little more sense? He didn't say that, right? Because it's not necessarily about the words that they were saying. Can I, can I be real with you for a second? God does not care the, about the lyric that you're singing if your heart is not actually in line with it. It doesn't matter the style of the worship song that you're singing if it doesn't line up with your heart being true to following God and literally worshiping him through that word. The word means nothing. I don't care if it's a hymn or contemporary. God does not care about the style of the song. He cares about your heart wanting to love and obey and follow him. So he didn't say, hey, change the word. He said, man, correct your ways. It's not about the word, it's about your heart. It's not about religious activity, it's about your heart. And they were using these things as like a sin pass. If I just offer up some praise, if I just go into the building, me and God are good. They were coming in, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, acting like they were genuinely following God. But I want you to see what God has Jeremiah say next. Look at the next verse, verse five. This is what God says. Instead, if you really correct your ways, once again, he's using that phrase, correct your ways and your actions. Here's what they were doing wrong. If you act justly toward one another, if you no longer oppress the, res the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, once again, I will allow you to live in this place, the land that I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. And so this word that God uses is not change, right? It's correct. And if you really broke that word down, it would sound more like if you correct and make things right, if you make your wrong actions right. He didn't tell them, change the words, but correct, make right, or church lingo, repent from not being obedient. Repent for not being obedient. In other words, God's not trying to um, 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 tell them, hey, change your words so that you can fix what's internally wrong, right? Um, I, I forgot this phrase because I'm ADHD came into my mind uh, in the first service and I forgot who said it. Someone reminded me of Sarah Palin, right? She said this quote, you can put lipstick on a pig, but guess what? It's still what? A pig, right? Like you can put all the lipstick on that pig. It's still ugly and dirty and smells weird, right? It's still a pig. God didn't say change your words because we know, God knows that external things can't fix what's internally broken. Our words externally can't fix the sin problems that we have internally. So we can't fake it. The words don't mean anything if we're not internally repenting of our sins. God didn't say, correct your words. He said, man, correct your actions, your ways. Don't just say different words. Go make things right. The way you're living isn't lining up with what you're proclaiming. So did you notice in the four things that God tells them to correct, right? The four things he tells them to correct, he says, act justly toward one another. They were literally um, um, like um, lying against each other, cheating on each other, business issues were going down. He's like, man, stop acting unjustly towards one another. People were oppressing um, 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 foreigners and, and, and the fatherless, like orphans and widows. Rather than serving them, they were oppressing them. Right, literally using them to gain, like to get profit from them. They were shedding innocent blood, literally murdering one another. 
And then one thing he said that only related to religion, right? The only thing that related to God in these four things he wants them to correct was and following other gods. They were worshiping. We don't have time to get into it in the sermon. That's why it's important that you go to small group, that you get plugged into a small group so that you can dig deeper into the word of God. But in this sermon, he calls them out for worshiping the sex goddess. But out of the four things that he wants them to correct, only one of them had to do with religion, with, him, with them and God. The other three were how they treated those around them. In other words, God cares. Yes, he cares about your worship. Yes, he cares that you go to church. Yes, that he cares that you, he cares about you knowing the word, but he cares just as much about how you treat other people. Because the way that you treat other people either proves that you actually love and obey and follow God or you don't. Man, the Bible is full of that. First John literally talks about, man, if you claim to walk in the light, but you mistreat your brother, you're, you're showing that you actually walk in the darkness, that the light is not in you. And so for us, we can't proclaim that we love God and we follow God when we act harshly or judgmental to those around us. We can't claim to love God and that we follow God and, and, and judge those who have opposing views in whatever in life you wanna say, music, politics, well, I don't care and hate them because they have a different point of view than us. We can't claim to love God and follow God if when we look at the world who is lost and pursuing sin and go, man, look at those dirty, disgusting sinners. Without the first start in our heart being, how can I go love and serve them so that one day I can proclaim the gospel to them? What God is calling them out on is man, listen, if you truly have faith and you're truly walking in obedience, it will be clear not only in your relationship with God as you're growing in your relationship with God, but it will be clear in your relationships with those around you and how you love and serve, disagree, but still are friendly, see needs, meet them, and ultimately share the gospel. I'm not talking about using fake words to look like that, because what do we say? God sees past fake. But you're genuinely taking steps to living out your life in obedience. This is not perfection, this is progress. Are you progressing towards obedience in God? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Here's what I want you to see next. God goes in a little more uh, in the sermon. Like I said, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but I want you to see what these people were, were really struggling with. Look at verse eight, and we're gonna read all the way through 15 for the sake of time. Verse eight says this, but look, you keep trusting in deceitful words, right? You're, you're, you're believing a lie that cannot help you. What is that lie? Here it is. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and, other, uh, and follow other gods that you have not known? Then you come in and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we are rescued. So we can continue doing all these detestable acts. Verse 11, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 12, but return to my place that was at Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first. See what I did to it because the evil of my people Israel. 
Now, because you've done all these things, this is the Lord's decoration. And because I've spoken to you time and time again, but you wouldn't listen. And I've called you too, but you wouldn't answer. What I did in Shiloh, I will do to the house that bears my name, the house in which you trust, the place that I give you and your ancestors. Verse 15, I will banish you from my presence, just as I banished all your brothers and all the descendants in Ephraim. And so if, if you grew up in the church and if you didn't, that's okay. This should sound familiar because we read it earlier, but verse 11 is something that Jesus quoted in the New Testament as he was in the temple, right? Do y'all remember that story of Jesus, right? He's in the temple. They're in there doing the same exact things that God's calling them out. They were oppressing people, trying to make money off of people instead of serving and, and helping them. Jesus makes a whip, flips tables, smacks everybody, drives them out and says, this house will not be a den of thieves, right? A den of robbers, right? And so like, I always grew up knowing that. I've heard that. And I'm sure if you grew up in the church, you've heard, the, the, you've heard that before. But as I actually studied, I actually didn't know what the den of thieves or den of robbers looked like. So it would be like a, a, a hidden cave off out in the wilderness somewhere where, where thieves and robbers, criminals would, would stay. And then they would leave the den. They would walk out into the community and do their thing. Steal, rob, kill, whatever it is. Go, go commit crimes. Go chase their evil desires. And then when the pressure was on, people were looking to capture them. They would run back out into the wilderness, into the den of other thieves, and they would remain there until the heat settled down, right? And then once they felt safe because they're in the den, they would come back out, leave the den, come back out and go do the same thing over and over and over again. And this is what God is saying. Do not treat me and my house like a den for you to go commit whatever sin and disobedience you want to walk in, then run into it and pretend that I'm going to keep you safe. Now, here's the deal. I've been in the, personally, I've been studying the book of Psalms all summer. It's been taking me forever because there's a ton of them, right? But if there's a common theme in the book of Psalms that, that um, um, is like the word refuge or um, God is like my retreat, my stronghold. It's the same um, theme over and over, the refuge. And so when, as I was studying for this, it, it kind of dawned on me what God intends for him to be as a refuge, what the church to be as a refuge is that it, right there, that we would come to church and, and, and worship with brothers and sisters. We would hear a word from the Lord. We would repent from our sins, that we would apply that word to our life and then we would leave the church. We would leave the den. We would leave this place and go out into the world Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, walking in obedience, not in perfection, but in progress. I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'm trying to fight my sin. And as we're in spiritual warfare, yes, we're going to get beat up all week, all day long. But then on Saturday night, when I get into my bed, I've fought the good fight. I'm ready to wake up in the morning. I'm ready to crawl into this church building with my church family in the presence of the Lord, worship to be refueled, hear a word to be refueled so that when I leave this place, I'm ready to fight the good fight again. That I come in here with repentance. I come in here with repentance. God, I tried. I tried to follow you this week. You gave me strength. I messed up. Please forgive me. Thank you for my brothers and sisters as we worship you. Fill us. Give us strength. 
And as we leave this place, I'm not going with the intent to follow my passion or my will, but God, I'm leaving this place to go fight the good fight, share the gospel, fight my sin, love and to serve. And then Saturday night, I'm getting ready because Sunday morning, I'm ready to get recharged. Versus I live how I want to live all week long, do what I want to do, then come in here as like a bargain God, now you forgive me because I sang in worship. And then I leave with the intent, not of obedience to God's will, but my own. If you're with me, say I'm with you. What was happening was they were oppressing people. They were mistreating people. They were lying to others, following false gods. And then they would run to the temple to worship God as like a insurance policy. And, and, and man, listen, that is a dangerous theology to believe in. I, I read this comment uh, in a, in a um, commentary this week, and it says this, it's super long, so I didn't put it on there, but just, just listen, it says, our presumption is that because we go to church and worship God, he doesn't really care about what we do outside of the church walls. If we are not careful, our theology can turn into cute little sayings like God will supply all my needs. We'll mix that with God will forgive all of my sins mixed with once saved, always saved, which these things are true, but those things mixed together, if not careful, can produce a faith that suggests as long as we keep supporting the institution church, God is then obligated to hook me up with the good life and, 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 and then I can move about my day. We can act as though God is rich in love and mercy below on demand. Y'all hear that last part? If we're not careful, we can act as though God is rich in love and mercy below on demand. What was happening? These people were looking to religion to cover their disobedient lifestyle and were not actively pursuing obedience to God. And, and this is so dangerous. This is a dangerous version of Christianity that I'm afraid, like I said, the big church, especially here in America, that we've fallen into. Listen to me, God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing, nothing. And God will never owe you anything. You can live your whole life going to church and God doesn't owe you a good life because of that. Now he promises to bless us according to his will for our life. That is true. And you can, you can put your faith and trust in that. But you cannot exchange your religion, your good deeds, your worship, and use that as a bargaining tool for God. And like I said, we don't have a whole lot of time to get into the rest of the sermon, but I want you to see what God says later on. Um, in verse 21, God says this through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of the army says. You can add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak with them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifice. However, I did give them this command. Remember that quote that we believe God is rich in love and mercy, but low on demand. This is what God says, verse 23. Obey me and then I'll be your God and you will be my people. Follow every way I command you so that it may go well with you. Verse 24, this is how they responded. Yet they didn't listen or pay attention, but followed their own advice and their own stubble, stubborn, evil heart. They went backward and not forward. 
What we see in the Old Testament as God um, set up the sacrificial system, he did that. He set up the sacrificial system so that they could joyfully obey him, right? The whole sacrificial system was set up so that when they know, when they knew, man, I have sinned against God, I've walked in disobedience, they knew that it hurt them. They wanted to be forgiven. They wanted to make things right with God. They would joyfully sacrifice this animal as a sign of repentance. Lord, I messed up. I'm sorry. Here's my sacrifice. Now help me walk in obedience, right? It was this joyful thing that God instituted for us, that we would recognize our sin and the payment that it takes to cover our sin. But what happened over time throughout the Old Testament, and what I still think today, even though we're not commanded to make animal sacrifices, Jesus made that for us. I think what happened in the Old Testament and what happens for us is they forgot the heart reason behind it. Where instead of joyfully in their heart going, I messed up, I need to repent and get right with the Lord because I love God and I wanna follow him. They started using the sacrificial system, not for repentance, but as the insurance policy. I'm gonna live how I want, then I'm gonna show up to the temple, sacrifice the animal, God tells the Lord, I worship, I'm out, and then do their thing. And that same struggle, I think, is happening with us today. Listen, God tells them, before I even made that sacrificial system, I just called you to be obedient. I didn't call you to religion. I didn't call you to, to a system. I called you to a relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people. I will dwell in your presence. This, will, this is going to be awesome. Just walk in obedience. And yet what happened? They rebelled. They didn't listen. They went backward instead of forward. And so I'm going to have Rich come out and, and the question is, okay, well, what do we do with this, right? Like, what do, we, what do we do with this, right? Because listen, God, don't leave here thinking, I'm saying like, don't go to church. God cares that you're here, right? This is the church, the Bible tells us is Jesus' bride, right? Listen, I love my wife. Jesus loves the bride. He loves the church. So church is important. Family, community is important. Worship, I'm not saying worship's not important. Worship is important. You're just proclaiming what's in your heart and worshiping the God of the universe. It's important. Bible memory, all those things that I talked about, those are all really good things. God cares about them. But listen, he cares more about your heart being for him. He cares more about your obedience over your religion. He cares about it. Because the problem is if, if we have a low view of our sin and a low view of obedience, really what we're saying to ourselves, what we're saying to God, what we're saying to the world around us is that we actually also have a low view of Jesus. If we have a low view of Jesus and we, we use church and we use scripture and we use worship as like a cover all and just for us to come in here, worship and then leave and go walk in our own, our own ways. What we're really saying is Jesus, what I view you did on the cross, that's great. Thank you for giving me a get out of hell free card. Now I'm gonna do what I want. I'll show up and I'll tithe. And listen, that is a low view of Jesus and what he actually did on the cross for us. And so what do we do? Listen, if, if, if you are in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, first of all, I'm glad that you're here. You are welcomed here. Like we are, we are not a cult. Like I'm in here, right? Like I'm glad you're here. But listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
Man, that's step one. You need to understand that there is a God who loves you and has a plan for your life. And like I said, you can do all the humanitarian efforts in the whole world, meet all the world's biggest needs. But the Bible says that is not enough to cover your sin. Matter of fact, there's a verse, it's not gonna be on the screen, but, but John 1, 8, 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What your sin does, what your rebellion against God does is separate you from him. That's why he repeated that phrase, I will let you live in my presence. But when you choose to repent, not change words, not change actions, but to correct, make right, to leave that lifestyle, to leave you being your own God, chasing your own thing, when you choose to surrender and repent from that and give your life to Jesus as the Lord, the boss over your life, God makes his home within you. You are forgiven. You bring all the baggage, all the sin. Like, Donnie, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. But yet we know right here from scripture, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So what do you do with this? That's your step one. Come to Jesus. Now, if you're a believer in here, brother and sister in the faith, listen, what do we do with this? Well, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. Let me ask you a question to kind of make it more simple. Does your actions and words line up with the faith that you proclaim that you have in Jesus? Does your actions and your words line up with the faith that you proclaim you have in Jesus? Does the way that you treat other people in the church, in your neighborhood, those who are opposing in whatever of, uh, uh, politics or whatever it may be, does the way that you treat them and view them line up with the way that the God of the universe commanded us to treat them? When you worship, is it, are you worshiping because you're coming before the God of the universe or are you just going through the motions? Coming in to check it off and then walk out knowing I'm here just to cover my sin so that I can go and, and back and do what I want. Brothers and sisters, listen, I don't know your heart. You know what's going on in your heart. God knows what's going on in your heart. So what do you do with this? Number one, you come in and repent. If there's something that you know isn't lining up, come and surrender that. Don't change the words to the song, correct the ways. There's nothing special about this carpet down here, but man, this could be an easy thing for you to do is to come down as we sing a song and, and just kneel before the Lord and say, God, listen, here, I know you know my heart. I know this is wrong. I'm going to correct this right now, Lord. Help me. Give me strength to repent. Give me strength to move forward and not backward. Or maybe, God, I know that the way I've been treating my wife or the way I've been treating my husband or my, or my family or my friends or my coworkers or my coach or, or whoever it may be, it might be someone across the room in here, right? God, I know I haven't been treating them right or, or I've been talking bad about them. If that's you, come repent and then go make it right. Go seek forgiveness. 
Or maybe you just need to come and ask God, God, I, I, I want to walk in obedience. Show me how I'm not. God, I don't want to be stubborn. Help me to see. So wherever you are, just know this, that, man, God loves you. Um, and this is the call that he's given us. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.